Well, please take a seat and uh, turn in your Bibles to Jonah, uh, really Jonah chapter 2, but we're, we're going to uh, kick off at verse 17 of chapter 1. Jonah chapter 2, which was on page 927 of the church Bibles. And hopefully inside your service sheet is a uh, pretty simple outline of uh, where we'll be heading as we look at that passage together. Now, I've been uh, in Australia for most of the last month and it's going to be hard not to uh, share that with you at at regular intervals in the coming weeks. Uh, There there are many, many things that I enjoyed about that time, many experiences of the past month that have been deeply good for me and for my family, very refreshing for the soul. Uh, So many things about the land uh, that were, were so very good. But one of the greatest experiences was actually quite simple. Uh, One of the things I missed most and the things I enjoyed seeing again was an Australian sunset. Uh, There is nothing like it. Uh, I say that without any bias whatsoever. Uh, You have to see it uh, to believe it. It is incredible. The sky is bigger there, you see, to start with. It is more golden, uh, more red, more brilliant, more immense than here. And when the sunset is at full pitch in the summer, it looks like on the horizon that that it is exploding. It looks like the whole sky is exploding before you. It is wonderful, an incredible sight. Now I want you to hold that view in your thought for a little while, but tonight what we're going to do is we're going to see a view far more spectacular. And it's a view not just on my horizon, it's a view actually on all of our horizons, on the horizon of our entire world And it is far more wonderful than any Aussie sunset could muster. It is the sign of Jonah. It's the sign our God wants our world to see. Did you hear it uh, in our other reading tonight from Matthew's Gospel as as Jesus is with the crowds and they're demanding a sign. Show us something. Show us what you're about, God. Show us what life is about. Show us something miraculous. Something we've never seen before. Jesus simply says, I will show you one sign, one sign only. That is all you'll see. It is the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That is your sign. A world looking for a sign, a world desperate for a sign, Jesus just offers just one, the sign of the prophet Jonah. And as we continue uh, tonight to look at this uh, remarkable story of the prophet Jonah, we will see that sign writ large for us, depicted for us, painted for us really here in chapter 2. If you were here last week, you'll you'll remember that so far we've seen this prophet Jonah called by his God to go to the city Nineveh to speak against it because the wickedness of that city had reached God and he wanted Jonah, his prophet, to go and speak and tell them. Jonah promptly responded by standing up and running as far as he could, away from God, away from this call. He found himself on a boat with a group of sailors who knew nothing of his God and yet by the end of the chapter, as you may remember, it was Jonah who found himself in the stormy sea and the sailors saved by God. Then just when you think things couldn't get worse, as you look at verse 17 of chapter 1, they do. Thrown overboard, Jonah hits the icy water, the sea calms and then gulp. Jonah is swallowed by a huge fish. At last, the fish, the famous fish, makes his appearance. 
And the obvious question at this point in the story of Jonah in verse 17 is, why? Why would God cause a fish to swallow Jonah? What's the point? Is this some sort of kindness on God's part? He's drowning in the water so he brings a fish along to swallow Jonah or is it judgment? Now historically this verse, verse 17, has been read as kindness as if God in his amazing mercy brings this rescue of sorts, a giant fish to swallow a man. And then what follows in chapter 2, this prayer, is Jonah's prayer from inside the fish. A prayer of thanksgiving, a prayer of joy. But think about it for a moment. He's just been swallowed by a fish. I imagine it was dark. I imagine it was kind of stinky. And I imagine it was hard to breathe. Uh, In no way is this a good thing, a good turn of events. Lucky Jonah, I've been swallowed by a fish. I mean, picture the scene, the storm raging, the wind is howling, the sailors are terrified, they throw him overboard into the open water and then gulp. I mean, I've heard the phrase, always look on the bright side of life, but I think this is stretching it a bit, isn't it, to think, fantastic, I'm inside a fish. Well, that's the way it has been read, but I think if you look carefully at Jonah chapter 2, there is a very different chronology going on here. In verse 1 we are told that Jonah cries out to God in prayer, desperate, cries out from inside the fish. And at first glance it does look like what follows is that prayer. But if you look carefully it is in fact a later prayer, a prayer of one who has been rescued from, we're told, the grave or more literally in the verse from the belly. Uh, What we have here in verses 2 to 9 is a flash forward It's something the Old Testament does quite regularly. If you look back in uh, chapter 1 verse 10 you'll see it happened there that Jonah had already told them he was running from the Lord. Now his prayer in chapter 2 verse 1 is a simple one. It is a last ditch cry for help from inside this fish. The chain of events is he is swallowed by the fish. He cries out for help and then if you jump down to chapter 2 verse 10 you see God's response. God causes the fish to spit him out. And there he is, this sticky, wet prophet standing on the shore and he sings this song of praise, verses 2 to 9, and that is what we're going to see tonight, this amazing song. If you want more evidence of this, uh, verse 10 should actually read, for the Lord had already commanded the fish and it had already vomited Jonah onto the dry land. So there is the sign. Uh, This famous part of the book of Jonah, Jesus says, look at this strange event of a dodgy prophet being swallowed by a huge fish and you'll see in that all that you need to understand this world and your God. You'll see everything you need. So what is it that this sign, this sign of Jonah tells us? Well, here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say to us, hey, here is an interesting and quirky story for your Sunday school class, guaranteed to keep them interested. No, it is for children, but it is so much more than that. This sign is in fact the most devastating sign our world will ever see. The most devastating sign our world will see. Because sometimes uh, something seemingly uh, insignificant, seemingly uh, innocuous, uh, like this story, says something far more serious. Sometimes uh, a view that you're taking in uh, says a lot more than at first glance. Uh, Take for example uh, the Australian sunset that I was lauding at the start, uh, the best of them are brilliant red 
It's almost as if the horizon before you is exploding with burning light and that is because it is. Somewhere in the distance it is burning. They point to the fact that somewhere on the land, the land is raging with bushfire and it is out of control. Sometimes a simple sign says far more than we want. Uh, One of the most captivating sunsets Australia has seen in recent times was in February the 7th, 2009. They call it Black Saturday. It shows us how serious the sign of a sunset can be. Let me read you a couple of pages out of a book uh, that I bought while I was out uh, in Australia. It's called Why You Are Australian. Uh, And if you want to borrow it any time, feel free. Uh, There might be quite a queue, so uh, book in early. But here's how she describes the events of February the 7th, 2009. She says, On Black Saturday the flames were goaded by 100 kilometre winds and temperatures pushing 47 degrees centigrade. It was the perfect scenario for a disaster, a once in a century heat wave with fierce winds riding on the back of a protracted drought. The bush was tinder dry and it was in difficult to reach areas. The humans didn't stand a chance as this mighty, untamable continent roared again. One observer said it sounded like the, the roar of a thousand jumbo jets taking off and the ground it shook beneath us and the windows started rattling. Others described the fire as roaring like an express train and travelling just as fast. The shocking, stilling savagery of it hits you. Victims found huddled together, clinging tight, groups of friends and families and strangers. Young people, old people, children, babies dying in their bathrooms. Emergency operators listened to people dying over the phone. More than 4,500 calls were made by people trapped. All of this happened on the innocence of an Australian Saturday afternoon as the sun set. The fire came so quickly. The heat was so intense that paint peeled off bonnets. Cars melted, hubcaps turned into rivers of lava. Bricks shattered, windows melted. Fridges, household fridges that the advertisers told us could withstand nuclear blasts folded like they were wet cardboard. People were burned beyond recognition. Some will never be identified. Sometimes a simple thing like a sunset says far more than we want it to. And the sign of Jonah does that for us tonight. It is the most devastating sign our world could possibly see because it tells us the truth about ourselves and about our world and our God. Here's the first thing it tells us. And we see this in Jonah 2. It tells us where we are as a world right now. Where do you think we are uh, as a human race? Humanity circa 2010, uh, as we enter a new year, as we enter a new decade, uh, how are we travelling? Well, whatever answer you may come up with, uh, verse 4 of our passage tells us the truth. I have been banished from your sight. Banished. Jonah, like all humanity, who'd refused to listen to God, who, the God who gave him life and breath and everything else, found himself, as we all do, banished, separated from his God. Now, the word banished here carries with it the idea of no return. There's no way back. Jonah can't just choose to walk back into uh, God's presence. He's plunged himself into a life where he ignores God and his word and now he is sinking literally deeper and deeper into a world where he is further and further away from his God. Well, here is the sign. 
Here is the picture of where our world is at, a world refusing to listen to God, banished. And here's the thing about the sign of Jonah. There is nothing glorious or independent about that. The picture painted here in Jonah 2 is of a man cut off from God who is what? He's a drowning man. See the sign of Jonah to our world in 2010. Where are we uh, as a world uh, as at the end of the noughties? Where are we uh, as Great Britain in an election year? Where is forward? Gloriously covered in snow as it is tonight. Where are we? We are banished. A drowning man fighting for his life. And for me the poetry of Jonah 2 paints a powerful picture of what being banished actually looks like. Did you see it as it was read to us? Did you see the judgment of God painted? Have a look at verse 3 and there you'll see judgment vividly depicted for you. Jonah is hurled by his God, the God he has rejected, hurled into the deep. It's no accident he is drowning. God has done it. Even the sailors of chapter 1 knew this and the judgment against him is constant. You see it there, we're told, currents swirled around me. Wave after wave after wave crashes against Jonah, sweeps over him with no end in sight. To have God opposed to you is to face an unrelenting, untiring enemy. And we know this if we listen to God's word, don't we? It's stated very simply for us in Hebrews chapter 9, speaking of the banished man, it says, man is destined to die once and after that face judgment. The God who created the ends of the earth, who calls nations to account, all peoples, even forward, wields these forces of nature. And Jonah, who is refusing to listen to his God, is feeling the full weight of that. And here's the thing about the sign of Jonah. This judgment is leading somewhere. It shows us where our world is actually heading, where forward is heading. You trace Jonah's path all the way through this book and you'll see it. You go back to chapter 1 and you see where he first rejects God's voice. In chapter 1 verse 3 he goes down to Joppa. By verse 6 he goes down below the deck of the ship. By chapter 2 verse 3 he is down in the sea fighting for breath. By verse 5 he is down in the deep surrounded by water and by verse 6 the very earth has barred him in. Down, down, down. It must be a terrible thing to drown, I imagine. The sheer panic of it, of being trapped and helpless. Well, that is the sign of Jonah because God's judgment on a wicked world is too dreadful for words. And the path Jonah is on leads to one place and one alone with no diversions. It's depicted again for us in verse 5, death swallows him up just as the fish did. The earth bars him in forever. The path leading to the moment that is, is not a path leading to life, coming more and more to life. That's not Jonah's path at all, is it? He is not coming to life here. His life, verse 7, is ebbing away. It's a powerful image, isn't it, for what life does, human life. It ebbs away. That's how time works, doesn't it? So quick. I've been living here in Forward for three years and returning to Australia, it felt as if I'd gone just a few moments ago. Catching up with friends, it was like no time had passed. It was fantastic, but 
Yet as I sat there on a beach uh, having breakfast with my oldest friends in the world, you, you look round and you see the flecks of grey hair, uh, you hear the talk of children, you, you hear the talk of uh, unwell parents and you know time moves on. And even in the little things, I, I played cricket for the first time in eight years uh, while I was in Australia and let me tell you, things have changed. <laughs> as I came tearing in off the long run like I was still in my early 20s thinking, I don't need to warm up. I felt a pop. The very second ball, as this muscle rips, I think times have changed. Time ebbs away, doesn't it? Quicker and quicker. And I saw my grandparents while I were there. They're still alive and well, or sort of well. Truth be known, the medical issues that come at them come at them like the waves in this chapter, one after another after another, and one of them will, will pull them under. It has to. Life ebbs away. We get used to it. It's just the way things are. Well, it is when, verse 4, you are living banished from your God. But here's the truth. Life isn't meant to ebb away. You are meant to live forever. You were never meant to get sick. You were never meant to bury anyone you love. That was never meant to happen. You were never meant to shed any tears except for joy or laughter. Your heart was never meant to break over the circumstances you face. You were never meant to be afraid. You were never meant to die. It's not normal. That life ebbs away is because we are away from God, the giver of life. And the sign of Jonah tells our world where we are at. We are banished under judgment and facing death. But here's the wonder of the sign of Jonah. Again in verse 4 you see it. Not only does it show us where we're at, it shows us where to look for help. I reckon verse 4 of our chapter uh, gives the, summarises the whole Bible in one verse. If you're looking for a summary of the Bible, here it is. I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again to your holy temple. Where do you go for help? You go to God's temple. That's where Jonah looks in verse 4. He calls out to it in verse 7. He goes to, to the place where God deals with sin. He goes to the place where God meets with people. The sign of Jonah shows us where to go with our sin, where to go with our predicament. It's a sign of a God who doesn't just say, forget about your sin, forget about your rejection of me, your rebellion is no big deal, let's, let's just pretend it didn't happen. Now this is a sign of a God who is just. But it's not the sign of a God who says there's no hope for you, a sinner. It's not the sign that says banishment equals no way back. No, this is the sign that tells you to look towards God's holy temple for help, to the place where sin is met with sacrifice, where God takes your sin incredibly seriously, serious enough to shed blood for it, serious enough to take a life for it, but this temple of God is an incredibly gracious place, isn't it? Blood is shed, yes. A life is taken, yes, but not the sinners. It is the place where the sinner can walk up and meet with their God and come away forgiven and alive. And we, looking at the sign of Jonah tonight, know how graciously our God does deal with sin. 
We come to Jesus, the one that the Bible repeatedly calls God's temple and we find ourselves forgiven and alive because it is his blood, his life, not ours, that is taken. And so behold the sign of Jonah tonight. Jesus cast into the judgement of God for you, banished from his father's presence on the cross, hit by wave after wave of God's judgement, calling out in his distress, but he is forsaken for you. His life poured out, his life ebbed away for you. The earth, his grave, barring him in. There's the sign of Jonah. You see, when you see the sign of Jonah clearly, you realise the depths of your sin, the peril of your predicament and the love, the sheer depth of it. His steadfast love for you. The very thing we have no right to ask of our God, a return to his presence, is the very thing his grace allows. His grace, as Jonah calls it in verse 8, his steadfast, loyal love rushes to our aid at the very first cry, the very first. That's the sign of Jonah. Well, let me ask you, uh, have you seen the sign? Have you seen this sign? Because if you have, uh, three things will have happened to your heart and that's what God is aiming at with this sign. He's aiming at your heart. Firstly, this sign will speak to your heart. And you'll know he has spoken to your heart if, like Jonah, you've cried out in distress over your sin. You've cried out from the dock where the judgment of death hangs over you. You've cried out, save me. You'll know the sign uh, has spoken to your heart if you've prayed to his temple, if you've gone to the place where God deals with sin, Jesus. You'll know it speaks to your heart if you see his loyal love that when you cry out, he will answer with salvation. And for me, the joy of this gathering as we sang songs earlier tonight is to know that so many here have done that, have cried out and found indeed that salvation comes from the Lord. That's what Jonah declares in verse 9. Do you see there? Salvation is from the Lord. You want to know what God is about in our world, in Fullwood, in Sheffield? He is about salvation. That's what he brings to this world. Salvation for the great, the small, the wicked, the pure, the upright, the degenerate, the banker, the doctor, the mum, the drunkard, you name it. Salvation is from the Lord. And we know this for sure because as Jesus said himself in Matthew, one greater than Jonah is here. Jonah cried out and God rescued him. Jesus cried out on the cross, Father, into my hands, into your hands I commit my spirit and God raised him from the grave. One greater than Jonah is here. The rescue of Jesus from the cross blows Jonah's rescue out of the water. And it's not just Jesus who's rescued, is it? He opens the way for all who cry out to be rescued because salvation is from the Lord. You see, before the judgment of God, all stand equal but before the grace of God all stand equal. What happens when you cry out to God? Well, because of Jesus' cry on the cross, he will hear you. Let me show you the difference that makes. Let me tell you about James Coulter, who uh, was a young Australian who did a short-term mission trip to Kenya. 
This was uh, uh, how his last day was uh, described in the national newspaper in Sydney. The body of an Australian missionary missing after he plunged into a river in Uganda has been recovered a few metres from where he disappeared. James Coulter, 26, of Sydney, who had been working with orphans in the East African country, had been missing since Monday. This had happened after an accident on a cycling trip. He'd been working as a volunteer with the African Enterprise and five of the group had stayed on after the mission to visit an orphanage. On the way, James and another boy went to the Griffin Falls, which is a bike ride away, where they were staying. But while he was trying to take a picture, James slipped and fell into the water and was swept away. An Australian embassy official from Nairobi in nearing Kenya was at the scene and recovered James' body. Here's the wonder of the sign of Jonah. Here's the wonder of our gospel. It wasn't just an Australian embassy official who was on hand, was it? When the body was recovered. No, as James sunk low, as his body sunk below the water and breathed his last, his God, who knows him by name, raised him up, never to taste death again. There is the sign of Jonah. Has it spoken to your heart? Second thing it will do to your heart is it will break your heart. When you see the state of your city, banished, judged and ebbing away, when you see the grace, the steadfast love he offers, does it break your heart that there is in our city, in our streets, in our families, in our workplaces, those who, verse 8 says, are clinging to worthless idols, clinging to false saviours, forfeiting the grace that could be theirs. The sign of Jonah is meant to break my heart because it breaks God's heart. Here's the tragedy of verse 8, those grabbing at worthless saviours as they drown. Idols don't float. Listen to the way God describes the idols of our world, the things that we think keep us afloat in life, give us meaning, give us life. He describes them in Isaiah. He says they are a burden for the weary. Can you think of a worse thing to give a weary man than a burden? They are unable to rescue. Though one cries out to them, they will not answer. See the tragedy of clinging to worthless idols when you're drowning. They don't float. Be it money, a good gift, but no saviour, a burden for the weary. Did you see uh, the youngest lottery winner ever in the UK this week? Died aged 27, 10 years after making his fortune. A burden for the weary. Uh, be it lifestyle. Uh, I'm constantly told uh, when, I, when I read the Sydney papers that Sydney is the best place to live. If you want the perfect lifestyle, go to Sydney. But here's how that same paper described life in Sydney after doing a massive study of the workers there. When they are not working the longest hours in the developed world, they are pursuing perfect bodies through joyless fitness regimes or obsessing about property prices. They're always looking around anxiously in the hope that others aren't doing better. They're like the tin man from the Wizard of Oz. They have no idea of the point of their lives other than to get rich. Worthless idols. Idols don't float. Not where it counts. Not when it comes to being far from your God and under his judgement and your life ebbing away. It should break your heart that our city is filled with those who cling to such things. Verse 8 is a declaration of a broken heart. 
and it should move me to go to my city with news of this grace, with news of a rescue. Because the final thing it will do to my heart is this, it will fill my heart up. Our hearts will be broken but they will be full. Do you see it there in verse 9? Full of joy, of thanksgiving, full of passion. Passion for life, passion for a God who can rescue even from death. Passion that will see me going to my city with joy. Going as one who's been rescued like Jonah, this sticky, wet, sandy prophet standing on the shore saying, come meet the rescuer. That's us. It is in fact why he rescued me, to declare that to my world. That's what 1 Peter 2 tells me. It says that you were rescued to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's why you were rescued, to declare his praises. Have you seen the sign of Jonah? Has it moved your heart for this city? And just as we close, uh, let me say that I I reckon the Christian community can often be like living uh, with the hobbits of Lord of the Rings. Uh, The hobbits, uh, if you know the Lord of the Rings books well, uh, lived in the Shire, a wonderful place to live, quiet, peaceful world, kind of like where we are right now. Uh, In the book, the hobbits uh, have been living in that world for so long they think all the world is like that. Eventually some of them are drawn out into the rest of the world and really struggle. But then the book describes an event on a battlefield with one of these hobbits standing there on the field and he suddenly looks up and he sees the great enemy charging at him and he's frozen with fear. But then out of the corner of his eye he sees one just like him standing alone against this enemy and prepared to die for him. And this is Tolkien's quote. He says, Pity filled his heart and great wonder Suddenly the slow-kindled courage of his race awoke. Well, My prayer for myself and for all of us this year, this March especially with the Passion for Life, is that God would wake our hearts. Fix your eyes on the sign of Jonah. Fix your eyes on the one who fights for you three days and three nights in the heart of the earth for you. Fix your eyes on Jesus and watch as he slowly kindles your courage for this city. And let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the sign of Jonah. There could be no greater miracle you could show our world than the rescue from sin and death. Uh, We thank you for your extravagant love, your steadfast love that will hear us even at the first cry. Uh, Father, we we are those, uh, many of us, who have been rescued and we thank you for that with Jonah. Uh, Father, we pray that you would move our hearts uh, to share this rescue with many in our city this year. And we pray this uh, for your son's glory. Amen.